Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market. And by Policy Pack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, mitigate ransomware, and more. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now some news. And right out of the gate, there's some bad news this week for those on Windows 10 version 1903 and 1909. The recent April patch, KB4549951, has been reported by many people to be problematic, with plenty of people reporting the update fails to install, and according to a report from bleepingcomputer.com, none of the known mitigations for problematic update installs that usually work around this problem if it happens appear to work in this instance. If you have an issue installing the patch, you are unfortunately one of the unlucky ones. It could be worse though because it has also been widely reported that some are experiencing blue screen of death issues. It looks like some are also reporting issues with Wi-Fi connectivity issues and display adapter issues too. My buddy Trent Tai had a big hiccup while competing in a race to see who could set up a lab faster. Him with Citrix virtual apps and desktops against vDoppler with VMware Horizon. What could really slow you down setting up that lab? A Windows update related blue screen of death, which is exactly what happened to poor Trent. You should always scrutinize and test patches before deploying to the masses, of course. But if you don't, you definitely need to this month because it seems like you could run into one of many different issues with this patch. So good luck, everyone. This week, Google released their BeyondCorp remote access feature in Google Cloud. The feature allows companies to publish internal sites and web apps for remote access, allowing people who need to work from home access to their sites from home without the need for an agent or VPN. This type of agentless VPN or reverse proxy for just internal sites is not a new concept, but it is new to those on Google Cloud, and it's welcome in today's world with everything that's going on. CNET had a really interesting article this week about the VPN surge. It's around the surge and the challenges of dealing with the massively increased demand. It was also interesting to read that Egypt had the largest surge at 224% increase, while the US had a surge of 41% in the end. What I found most interesting though is the fact that, at least in the United States, it surged to 61% in March for VPN usage, but has fallen to 41%. Did a lot of people drop off due to layoffs? Did companies rush VPN as a solution and build out something else and then flip them over later? The article doesn't have an answer to that, but speaking from my own experience, I am certainly working on a project to move even more people to a virtual desktop in the coming weeks, so that's maybe what others have been doing too. Whatever the case, it's certainly a very interesting statistic. The Verge posted an article complete with GIFs and screenshots showing the upcoming 
app launcher for Windows 10 as part of the Power Tools development that is said to be coming to beta in May. It's pretty cool looking. It's very similar to the Spotlight feature in macOS. Check out the YouTube version of the podcast episode this week to see a quick demo of this for yourself. PSF Tooling version 3.6 has been released. If you're not familiar with that, that's a package support framework tooling developed by Tim Mangan to help support your MSIX efforts. And this new release brings support for recent changes in the PSF, a new improved workflow for the wizards, a new shortcut tool has now been included, as well as some other new features and a whole slew of fixes that have been added too. If you want to check this out for yourself, as well as check out a free online class that introduces you to the PSF tooling, check it out at tmurgent.com. The fine folks at Go-EUC, who I've mentioned many, many times in this podcast for their excellent performance analysis articles, have posted a blog article shining the bat signal looking for vendor support for their efforts. They need to invest in new hardware and resources to expand their testing efforts. If you happen to work for a vendor or even have your own company and would like a solid platform for advertising and the fringe benefit of being able to support a worthy community cause, look no further than go-euc.com. If you haven't heard of it before, go to the site, check out their articles. I'm sure you'll be impressed. And if you're in a position to help them out, That would be appreciated by not just them, but everyone in the community who benefits from their great articles. Microsoft Edge has overtaken Mozilla Firefox as the second most used browser, according to a report from the firm NetMarketShare. It's pretty tight between Firefox and Edge in number two and three. Edge has a market share of 7.59%, while Firefox has a market share of 7.19%. Chrome, of course, continues to dominate with 68.5% of the market share. Internet Explorer 11 sits on 5.6% of market share, and it'll be interesting to see if that 5.6% moves to Chrome or Edge in the future. ControlUp have released an update of one of their most powerful and useful, probably the most popular too, script-based actions. It is the Analyze User Logon script-based action, which now additionally covers App Volumes, FS Logics, Horizon, and Shell AppX Shell Active Setup phases as part of the script. So if you're like me, you use ControlUp and you love that feature, you want to update the script. And finally, I had a WhatsApp conversation with a friend this week. We started our IT careers together in the same role at the same company on the same day. He was telling me that he's thinking about getting out of IT entirely. That is something I used to think about quite a bit myself, but more recently I've stopped considering it. It made me wonder though if it might be very common for those working in IT to feel this way. You have to be quite a type A thinker. When working in IT, I feel there's very little work-life balance, as well as some of the personalities you encounter can be quite challenging. No offense to anyone. A few days ago, I published a poll on my Twitter timeline, which is at Rory Mon, and got almost 400 votes. 64% of those who voted say they have thought about getting out of IT. 36% have not. 
In the replies to the poll, there was a mix of people saying they think about it all the time and would like to work more with their hands or outdoors, for example. One person suggested that I should have options specifying if the respondent is male or female, as obviously women have a much tougher time in this male-dominated industry, which is completely understandable. I agree, I probably should have differentiated. There was also one very relatable response, at least to me, which was, yes, I think about getting out of IT every time I'm on call. I really hate on call myself. I just, I don't sleep well for the week. It takes me another week to recover. I just, ugh. I don't know if that's worth the money, to be honest. For those who replied and said they, they answered no, it was pretty uniform. They just, they love what they do. And it's not just their job, it's also their hobby. Which I get to, but I've also been teeter-tottering between yes and no. I really like actually doing it as a hobby. I'm just not sure I like doing it as a job that much, at least at times. And as Nicholas had pointed out, the on-call is a major factor for me not enjoying it. And Even when you're not on-call, you know, you're kind of always on-call. Anyway, that's it for this week's news. This week, I actually have a question that was asked, so I will go to the Five Bytes podcast mailbag. You've got mail. This one came via Curtis Simpson, and Curtis, I'm really sorry. I got this over two weeks ago, I believe, and I said I was going to put it on the podcast, but then my Mac crashed, and I lost my notes for the future episode, and I only just remembered it this week, but it's still pretty valid. Curtis asked, Curtis has said, since the pandemic, he's been struggling to support friends and family with their computing issues using products like TeamViewer. Some users seem to struggle with installing and launching it, even with the direct link. So he's been looking into setting up a desktop as a service for non-corporate personal use. From his initial research, Amazon Workspaces seem like it could be the way forward in that you only get charged for the user's individual usage. But he was wondering whether any UC professionals had recommendations or lessons learned from doing this kind of thing before. It is a really interesting concept or idea, and honestly, it's not something I've thought about at the individual level before. I know CloudJumper have a desktop-as-a-service platform, and I think they don't have a minimum, though that might have changed. So that could fit the need, but then... I'm assuming, Curtis, you'd want to then be supporting them in that desktop as a service platform. So you might need to make their applications available. If you've got multiple different people that you're trying to help out, you might have multiple different desktops that you've got to manage. So it's probably worth thinking about that too. I also know that Cameo have a really interesting product. And compared with some of their other competitors, it seems like it's priced pretty reasonably. So that one could be worth checking out. And I'll include a link to that with this episode, which is episode 121 under 5bytespodcast.com under the reference links. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Another one from James Rankin to start off this week. He shared an excellent article on managing OneDrive cache in Citrix virtual apps and desktops using FSLogix profile containers. If you're a Citrix customer and obviously a Microsoft Enterprise customer, you have FSLogix at your disposal. So you really need to read this because it's a no-brainer to think about it 
for your environment. As James states, FSLogix provides an easy way to avoid the main problems encountered with OneDrive Sync Client in RDSH environments, mainly those around local storage requirements and synchronization issues, with no extra cost. So you'd be a fool not to consider it. James also posted a really great blog post on using OneDrive Sync Client together with C Drive restrictions and has a bunch of numbered security tips included in the post too. So I'll share both of those articles. Eloy Kraus, I'm sorry if I got the name wrong, has a really great analysis on memory compression in Windows on his blog, aloyskraus.wordpress.com, that was brought to my attention by Trent this week. It gets into a lot of the deeply technical detail, but if you feel like geeking out, you want to check it out for yourself. And another week, another Guy Leach tip. This one's a really handy commandlet that will help you to get the number of monitors and or client windows resolution for Citrix virtual apps and desktop session from within a session. It uses PowerShell with CIM running as a non-admin user. And finally, Rachel Berry posted a really great article with a bunch of great products, resources, and tips for those recording and editing videos or screen graphics. It covers everything from legalese like copyright information to the more advanced techniques and tech you can use like lightboards. If you're interested in creating your own media content, you should really check this out. And I've actually noticed that a lot of people who that I follow on Twitter who are not even in the tech field, like chefs, for example, are using this time since they can't work their regular day job to create this unique content and put it out there. And they've been asking for some like tech advice on what type of laptop to buy, what software to use for editing. This would be a really great resource for that. So share it with your friends and also give it a read yourself because even if you do this like I do, there's some really great resources in there and some of them are free. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.